reading from Mark chapter 1, from verse 1 to verse 15. Okay. The Gospel according to Mark. John the Baptist prepares the way. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before you, before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Baptism of Jesus In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Jesus begins his ministry. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you here. Uh, there is a sermon outline available uh, around the place. There might be one next to you on a seat somewhere. Uh, so I've got a little bit of a uh, participation game for you. Uh, so without using your phone... Tell me where these opening lines are from and a bonus point for who wrote it. So just call out where you are. Call me Ishmael. Moby Dick. Moby Dick. Anyone know the author? Melville, yes, good. Uh, in the light of the moon, a little egg lay on a leaf. Hungry, Hungry caterpillar. caterpillar, well done. Uh, do you know the author? Eric Carle, well done. Uh, it was a bright, cold day in April and the clocks were tr striking 13. Nope. Anyone got it? No. Nope. <laughs> Not even close. <laughs> 1984. Uh, so that's George Orwell. Enoch, yep, Tolkien. 
Uh, it is sa said that the effect of eating too much lettuce is soporific. It's Beatrix Potter, but which one? Peter Rabbit, oh, close enough. Yes, tale of the flopsy bunnies. Uh, it is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good... By Jane Austen. They're good opening lines, aren't they? Uh, and then we heard this one before. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark 1. Yeah, thank you, Mark 1. Yes, good. Um, his opening line is really important. It's like a headline for the news that he's about to share. The door into the world of Mark's gospel. Uh, just like those opening lines that were so famous, uh, go into the world of whatever that author was writing. Uh, that's what Mark is doing too. And we're into this true story. Uh, so if you have your Bible there, it'd be great if you can have that open in front of you uh, as we look at this together. So the gospel is momentous news. Uh, Mark doesn't waste any words, he's straight to the point. Uh, this is what this is about, the gospel about Jesus Christ. It's his breaking news alert, the good news about Jesus. And, and so it's not really the gospel of Mark as such, it's the gospel of Jesus, about Jesus. And the other gospels do something, produces his orderly account about Jesus. Or, or Matthew starts with the family tree of Jesus. And John, which is quite different, uh, starts with the eternal nature of Jesus. Uh, and so you might call this a reminder or a back to basics here, but I think it's a back to what is essential. This is core gospel business. Uh, and I don't think it matters if you follow Jesus for 50 years or five minutes. Reading through a gospel is going to be helpful and insightful. And it has things to teach us each and every day. Uh, even in these opening verses, you can see how Mark moves really quickly through the, the different snapshots of Jesus' ministry. We heard Dagmar introduce the titles before. Do you notice all the different changes that come, even in those few verses? It's a concise biographical news report, starting with the ministry of Jesus as an adult, and it follows all the way through to the cross. And he's not the only biblical writer to use this first word, which is literally beginning. Uh, John uses it as well, but of course it points us back to Genesis 1 verse 1. And what Mark is doing is using that to bring us back to show how the gospel all started. It's like the backstory to the message that was being proclaimed about Jesus all over the earth. News about Jesus and what he had done was travelling everywhere. And you can't avoid that as a fact of history. Even sceptical non-Christian historians don't deny the existence of Jesus and the impact of his followers soon after. Uh, why would his followers... This is not story. Uh, this is a true story. And the gospel literally means good news. And let me ask you, do you think that's what it is? Is it really good news to you? Uh, it may be that you're quite suspicious of that claim. Uh, is this all some kind of conspiracy uh, to get me to behave myself like that? Christianity is often mistaken or misrepresented as bad news. 
And people think it's all about rules or it's just incredibly dull or, you know, a crutch to get you through life, outdated, oppressive, a blind faith, dead religion. You probably know someone in your life that holds to those views and they think it's terrible news. And one of the tasks for us as Christians and as members of this church is to say otherwise and speak into that, uh, to gently and respectfully unpick and dismantle those misconceptions about Jesus, uh, wherever you happen to be, whether it's at school or uni or work, something also you preach to yourself. Uh, because, you know, every, every one of us is tempted at times to, to doubt what's true. And the word for gospel, evangel, was used in the ancient world uh, for really big news. It's momentous news. It would be heralding some great victory at war or perhaps, perhaps something like Caesar's birthday. It's royal news of some kind. If we think about the news that was connected around the Queen's death and her funeral or the coverage of the massive earthquake even this past week, it's news that gets your attention and stops you in your tracks. Whether it's good or bad maybe depends on your perspective. And we'll come to see in Mark that the gospel has an edge to it. It divides opinion one way or the other. It's not just a pile of useful information that you can take or leave. It divides. And it's not just good advice. It is good news. It's a de declaration of what God has done. So Mark is clear from the outset. Herein contains the momentous news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. So this is all about Jesus, and we might be a little bit surprised after that opening uh, to find John the Baptist standing in the way in the next few verses. Uh, but this is to do with preparing for Jesus. See, John the Baptist is out there in the wilderness wearing the equivalent of outdoor adventure clothing uh, in verse 7, camel's hair, a leather, leather belt. Uh, I think he's really the Bear grills of the first century. Uh, and just on, like the show, Man versus Wild, he eats locusts and wild honey. And I noticed the order that that happens. Uh, honey roasted locusts, it's like coming to a health food store near you. Uh, protein and energy for survival. There's no shops around. And so you've got to eat something, I guess. But people have been fascinated by those who disappear off into the wilderness ever since John the Baptist. I was doing my research this week when, lo and behold, this video popped up on Facebook. And can I just say, uh, Luke, uh, that, well, nice one. Uh, and I realise, uh, I didn't really realise that we had our own John the Baptist in the, <laughs> in the congregation. Uh, his youth YouTube channel is amazing and I'd really recommend it. Uh, I love that I don't have to go to all these places because you've done it. Uh, so it's really terrific. I'm not convinced about the coffee. So that, that was the bit where it was like, oh, I'm not sure I can, I can do that. Uh, the young adults have had uh, Johan Otto off doing survival training just yesterday. Uh, so you can ask him about how he survived that. Uh, but the reason the Bible explains all the details here of what John's wearing uh, is because he is dressed for his job. Uh, and that was to be a prophet, just like Elijah in the Old Testament. And his job was to speak for God. 
and it fulfills the scripture that's recorded here for us. So have a look with me. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And so John does that in verse 4 by preaching about a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John's telling people they need to get ready and be found spiritually clean before the coming arrival of Jesus. And baptism is this outward sign that represents just that. It's a whole new thing that's going on here. Uh, People used to wash in the temple courts, uh, and that would signify their renewal of being made clean before the Lord. It was about a moral and to enter into a covenant relationship with God. So now John applies that not to just those who attend the temple, but they're out in the countryside, and it's the whole countryside that come, even people from the city. It's a significant national event going on here. And I don't know, Luke, if you would necessarily appreciate into the wilderness, but imagine people coming from all of greater Melbourne to be baptised there and prepare themselves for Jesus. It would be amazing, wouldn't it? And that's what's going on. It's an act of preparation because of who Jesus is. You see there in verse 3, it's really a title for Jesus. It's prepare the way of the Lord. It's applied to the Lord Jesus. This is not just a man we're dealing with. So this is the last of the old covenant prophets preparing his people for the coming of God himself, God in the flesh. And it's like a rolling out of the red carpet, perhaps the most important visitor of all time. Uh, This has never happened before. And so special preparations are being made here. Uh, I don't know whether you've seen when the US president travels somewhere, there's an advance team that actually goes ahead of him. Uh, And every meeting is carefully organised, security tightened, even the roads are cleared so that the motorcade can travel on without having, uh, they did a few years back, where there was 900 staff just from the Defence Force that went with with him, 200 Secret Service officers, 200 White House staff, uh, and many more political personnel, uh, and 12 sniffer dogs. Contrast that with this one guy out in the middle of nowhere. And that is what John the Baptist does. He is the advance team that prepares for the arrival. And he is even more important than the president. And that's what John thinks too. Verse 7, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. He knows his job, he knows his place, and his is a great attitude in ministry. As you prepare others for Jesus, we point to Jesus and put Jesus front and centre and get out the way. The Old Testament is is really essential for understanding why Jesus came. It's the ultimate backstory to the good news of Jesus coming. And in a sense, the whole of the Old Testament was this preparation for Jesus coming. So the gospel isn't disconnected with history, it connects right back to the very beginning. Uh, Someone said of Jesus that his birth, his character, his life, 
his death, his resurrection, his forerunner, were all prophesied of long before he came. And power of Elijah as the prophet of the new exodus out in the wilderness. This is the climax of history itself. It's almost the reversal of history as well. Where there was failure, there is success here. Preparations have been made. The scene is set. He is coming. The forerunner does his job as prophet and herald uh, with John. He preaches faithfully and he points others to Jesus, who is far greater. Uh, A while back, I was at a local swimming pool. It's really a swimming centre with our kids. When a group of about 50 people all rocked up, and most of them were all really quite well-dressed. It was a bit odd in in a swimming centre to see that. But they'd all group. Uh, And it was quite a special moment. uh, And I was just about cheering as I watched them baptise people in the wading pool next to where the kids were playing. Uh, And I met a couple of the leaders and I chatted with a guy who'd just been baptised. Verse 8 is talking about a different kind of baptism. I baptise you with water but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. What does he mean? How will Jesus baptise with the Holy Spirit? Is this some kind of secondary baptism? Oh, there's a minefield. Uh, Do we jump into that? Well, it's not really that, is it? What this is saying is that Jesus will bestow something that is promised in the Old Testament, something that is greater than what John was doing, and that is to pour out his Spirit. It's speaking of a spiritual power far greater than that outward sign of baptism, a power that reaches into your hearts. See, our greatest need is not what's on the outside, uh, but the heart, and we need a new heart. Uh, You cannot convince someone into God's kingdom. Only God can do that from the inside out. It's the Spirit who brings dead hearts alive, Uh, to make a heart of stone, a heart of flesh. Uh, That's Ezekiel 11. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. Uh, And there's also uh, Ezekiel 36. I will sprinkle sprinkle clean water on you. This is God speaking. Uh, And you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I'll give you a new heart and put you a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So what Mark is doing here is showing us the connection between the old and the new. There's a great reversal about to take place. The new exodus in the wilderness points us to the new kingdom, the new covenant and the new age of the spirit. So finally, the king, his mission, and his word. So there's the three things we'll look at here. Uh, I toyed with a different title, uh, the person, purpose, and preaching of Jesus. That's very preachy, uh, to put it as as three Ps. So firstly, the person. He is the Messiah, the anointed king. Uh, Christ isn't his surname. It's his royal title. And in verses 10 and 11, we have this incredible moment It's amazing where the Spirit of God descends on Jesus and the voice of the Father comes from heaven. Have a look. He says, You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. See, Jesus is the beloved Son of the Father, 
the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. Uh, and this happens again uh, at his transfiguration. Uh, I think I've got uh, Mark 9 here. Uh, the voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And then there's also a neat bookend at the end of Mark, uh, over in chapter 15, with the Roman centurion at the foot of the cross. Truly this man was the son of God. He is Jesus, uh, that name means the one who saves. And Mark is all about showing you who Jesus is. And that will be a really important theme as we track through these opening few chapters. So the man, his mission, his message follows all through the book. So secondly, the king's mission. The next snapshot in verses 12 and 13 are his temptation in the desert. And it shows him face to face with temptation. It's a cosmic battlefield here. A valley straight after a mountaintop experience. I don't know if you've ever faced that in your life. It's just what can happen with you and me. But Satan cannot stop Jesus from starting his ministry. And note too the Old Testament allusion here to Satan's temptation in the garden. Uh, Jesus doesn't succumb to it like the first man. Jesus is the second Adam who never sins. So Mark's version of this account is more of a summary. If you can go and look at I think it's Matthew 4 and Luke 4. Uh, they have an expanded edition of it. And we need to see that nothing gets in the way of what Jesus came to do. Satan cannot tempt him to serve himself when he's come to serve others and give his life for us. And in a gained, it's another reversal. Uh, starting from here, Eden is reclaimed by the only one who could be perfectly faithful and pass the test. You and I could never survive the wilderness like he did. And you're only kidding yourself if you think you're above any temptation in your life. There is only one who is Jesus restores. Uh, someone said the first Adam was like concrete, uh, the second Adam like reinforced concrete. It got me thinking about those pictures from the earthquake, about the buildings that are left standing where all others have collapsed. Uh, and Jesus is the only building that will stand. And we need to be found in that building, withstand the temptations of Satan. So where the first man failed, Jesus passes with flying colours. Where Israel failed in, in the wilderness, Jesus fulfils all that God has promised. Uh, he is God's son perfectly fulfilling his calling, enduring the cross on our behalf and defeating death, and he's now seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He is tested and true. He is God's Son sent for you and for me. He is our Saviour who never fails, ever. He is a loving King who rules with perfect justice. And I'm sorry, I don't have it on the screen, but you can have a look at 1 John. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The reason Jesus came was to overthrow Satan. And we will see that play out in these opening few chapters as Jesus sets people free from their spiritual bondage. And then he preaches. So he's preaching from verse 14. Have a look. 
After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Uh, Preaching doesn't get necessarily a good rap in today's culture. Uh, I don't tend to introduce myself as a preacher. Uh, The word preachy has connotations with it, doesn't it? Uh, I looked up preaching in an online dictionary. One of the definitions said to deliver a sermon, so I was relieved about that. Uh, another one, to urge acceptance or abandonment of an idea or a course, course of action. And then specifically, in bigger writing, to exhort in an officious and tiresome manner. I was a bit disappointed with that one. That's what people think preaching is. Uh, I really hope that's not the case today, so speak to me afterwards if that's a problem for you. To hound you or bore you to death. That's not a good definition of preaching. Uh, If I tell someone I preach, they might turn around and ask me if I do anything useful. Uh, And you might think that it's surprising that that's what Jesus came to do first up, was to importance to his actions. They are crucial in his ministry. And he calls on people to respond to this gospel, the good news. He has a message for every one of us. And let's hear it. This is his one-sentence summary in verse 15. I reckon Jesus used more words than this, but you can argue that with me afterwards. The time is fulfilled with the gospel. That's a great sermon, isn't it? He came for you, even though you and I are just like John the Baptist, not worthy to untie his sandals. He came to call you to repentance and faith. Uh, To repent is like the ultimate U-turn, a 180 degree and start heading in the opposite direction is taking you entirely the wrong direction. But there is a better way. There's a path that leads to eternal life. And the only way is by believing in the gospel, the good news of what Jesus came to do for you. The kingdom of God has arrived all because of who this is. This is the king. He is God's son, God's Messiah, the Lord Jesus. He's come near in person, in God's perfect timing. He is the the one who came, who would eventually lay down his life for you and for me. That is good news. Not what you have to do, but what he has done. And Jesus goes on to call his disciples him too, to respond to his gospel. How will you respond to who Jesus is and why he came? How does your story connect to his? This is the best news ever. This is momentous news. This is history-making, life-changing. It is the centrepiece of God's plans for the world and for your life and for mine. This is the greatest story ever told. Would you pray with me?